Namaste and welcome back to Demystifying Mindfulness, a series of conversations between me, Shweta Shivaraman, and Dr. Paras, a leading life leadership coach and the founder of Mindfulness Practitioner, as we break down various aspects that can help you live life mindfully. In our last episode, we spoke about the journey of Mindfulness Practitioner and the vision with the app. Today, we are going to delve right into the subject and explore seven powerful emotions and how learning to deal with these emotions can help us create joy and peace in our lives. But before we go deeper into the subject today, Paris, could we start with clarifying what emotions are and why managing emotions is a key aspect to living mindfully. Sure, Shweta. Namaste, everybody. So it is important to understand the nature of emotions. Emotions are not permanent in any way. They come and go like waves but can still manage to overwhelm us despite its impermanence. Anger, sadness, happiness, fear, anxiety, shame, guilt. Each of these emotions are powerful in their own stead and can unhinge all of us if we are not in control of them. Emotions arise from our thoughts This is the fundamental reason why no two people who face the same situation respond in the same way. It is because their thoughts are different. Certain thoughts lead to specific emotions being triggered and the more these thoughts lead to a set of emotions, the more the pattern gets imprinted in our neural networks. For example, Say you were bitten by a dog in your childhood. Every time you see a dog on the road, you immediately have a thought about being bitten once and immediately feel fear. The more number of times this fear is triggered, our brains immediately start associating the image of a dog with fear and the emotion of fear is created almost instantaneously when we see a dog going forward. So unless we break the pattern and mindfully change our thoughts, we will always succumb to automatic thoughts leading us to experience such emotions. So would you say more than the emotion that gets triggered, it is our conditioning or the story attached to the emotion that causes us more angst? Absolutely. Each time we reaffirm our previous conditioning, as in that example of associating dogs with fear, it gets imprinted on our neural networks and the harder it is to overcome. I encountered this client once who spoke very angrily. She was furious 
Her tone was angry. Her body language showed annoyance. I asked her, "What happened?" And she went on a tirade on why my family can't understand, why my in-laws can't understand. And I realized that there was some energy that was not lifted up, which just dissipated when I asked her the simple question. The anger rose from a feeling of not being understood, of never being asked what was wrong, and just two words could help her break out of that emotion. Very interesting example, Paras. So now that we touched upon anger, could you share with the listeners on how anger impacts our lives and how we could go about controlling it? Anger is a very interesting emotion as it can have varying levels of intensity from a mild irritation to full-blown rage we could probably cover everything under the term anger it is a powerful emotion as we take long pending decisions at one go while sometimes they help us sometimes we fall back channelizing the emotion in a functional way helps us to get the work done however many times we don't realize the boundaries and we allow anger to take control of our actions leave scars in relationships as anger can become dysfunctional what we need to realize is that with every emotion there are physiological and biological changes that come with it for instance with anger your blood pressure shoots up and so does your heart rate there is an increase in adrenaline and energy hormones in the body and the most natural reaction that these physiological and biological changes lead to the display of aggression verbal abusing physically venting out by throwing anything within hand's reach and what not so when you feel anger rising within you you feel obliged to express it because holding it is not very healthy either so when you feel anger rising within you you feel obliged to express it because holding it in is not very healthy either so to manage anger you need to be conscious of it when it gets triggered assess it and redirect it to a something constructive instead some quick relaxation tools are very useful such as using your breath deep breathing from the diaphragm could relax you almost instantaneously or visualizing relaxing experiences or calming thoughts to revive the brain to respond differently to the same trigger that is an interesting perspective so does this mean that we could become aware of the rising emotions within us by keeping a check 
on the physiological or biological changes in us. Absolutely. That is true. Not just for anger. Take for instance the emotion of sadness. Sadness, like anger, can also be put on a spectrum ranging from mild disappointment to despair, anguish and depression. You could become sad when something doesn't happen your way or you lose a valuable object or a person in your life. When someone feels sad, the posture is hunched, the lips droop downwards, there is heaviness in the chest or in your limbs, and the voice either becomes very high-pitched or low baritone, watery eyes and more. Interesting. So I see here that the symptoms are more physical than biological. While we all know that some amount of sadness is a part of life, but untreated chronic sadness could lead to depression. How would you say listeners should deal with this emotion? That is correct. Sadness in small measures could lead us towards living life according to our terms, as we are clear with what works for us and doesn't. However, untreated, it could lead to chronic mental illness such as depression. The first thing to deal with sadness is understanding the root cause. Oftentimes today, we are so distracted with multiple triggers that we may fail to realize what is the main issue that's causing the angst within us. Once we identify the trigger, the second step is to act. When you're sad, the natural tendency is to procrastinate and avoid taking actions. It does not necessarily have to be something large or transformational. It could be something as simple as picking up a phone and conversing with a loved one to shake off that feeling of sadness. Got it. But what are your thoughts about positive emotions though? Like say, happiness. Do they need management too? <laughs> Enjoyment or happiness is definitely one of the most desired emotions, of course. Happiness could be something as small as sensory pleasure to experiencing bliss and ecstasy. When you feel this emotion, you are uplifted, motivated. You feel that warm, tingling sensation. You're energetic and feel very light and breezy. In the case of happiness, the problem is the other way around. It is sought after so much that this obsession with being happy can become the cause of misery itself. <laughs> right. So, so the mantra I hear is, is that it is the same irrespective of positive 
or negative emotions. Balance remains the key. But let's move on to our next emotion, Paris. The most common one probably, fear. How would you break down fear for our listeners? Fear, like we already discussed in the beginning of the episode, was a necessary element instilled in us for our protection and survival. The emotion of fear is what keeps us awake when we feel threatened, when surrounded by predators. But in our world today, where we live in our safe concrete jungles, the fear is more internal than external, in the sense that fears are created within the mind. Fear is very complex emotion, a threat of harm that is either physical, emotional or psychological, real or imagined, and could take various forms, fear of heights, of failure, of water, of animals, and multiple other manifestations. The problem with fear is the mind immediately feels threatened and goes into a fight or flight mode that immobilizes us instantly and holds us back from taking any actions. Let's say, when you catch yourself feeling afraid, you need to pause and reflect and ask yourself, is it real or imaginary? If it is real, what are the things I could do to protect myself from the eventuality? If it is imaginary, understand, where does it stem from? What supports this misrepresentation? Are there any facts to the contrary that invalidate this imaginary fear? I think that's a fascinating perspective, Paris. Especially the fact that sometimes our fears could just be a product of our imagination and evaluating it rationally could be the easiest way to disregard baseless fear. But what about anxiety? Are anxiety and fear interrelated? Yes and no. Fear and anxiety are interrelated in the sense that both emerge from the possibility of threat or harm to the self. However, fear is specific and is a reaction to something observable, while anxiety could be generic, unfocused and related to anything in the future. So in the case of anxiety, there is no specific trigger. It could just be the anticipation of a threat that could trigger the emotion. And this makes it very difficult to overcome. When there is no specific source to an emotion, it is very hard to place a finger on it and manage it. And anxiety as a way of debilitating the very way of life for an individual, if not controlled. Anxiety could lead to restlessness, irritability, fatigue, 
sleeplessness in a person, or could even cause pains such as headaches or stomach pains. Anxiety leads to constant worry, which then manifests physically and emotionally in several ways. So, how does one then balance or control anxiety? Hmm. Meditation, dhyan and dharana from Ashtangika Yoga is an excellent way to calm the nerves and reduce anxiety. All forms of meditation bring your attention back to the present moment or the here and now which reduces an individual's tendency to worry or predict the worst possible what-if scenarios of the future. However, if anxiety has been prevalent for a while, therapy and medication might be required too. Right. If I were to speak from my experience too, I would say that meditation is truly the best remedy to calm the nerves. Having faced several anxiety and panic attacks on a regular basis, it was daily meditations that changed the game for me. I think we have covered several emotions already, but what often comes up when individuals go down the path of personal development or growth is guilt. Guilt for needing so much space and time. How would you explore that emotion in us? How can we stop ourselves from drowning in guilt? Guilt is a very fascinating emotion in the sense that it depends purely on where the guilt is coming from. For instance, if you feel guilty for eating five chocolate bars in a row, that is your brain signaling you that you're going extreme. That is a good guilt. If the intentions are right, guilt can help individuals become more mature and sensitive and accountable to the world around them. However, if unexamined, it could become self-destructive. Take for instance, mothers who feel guilty about working, leaving their child alone. They constantly worry about how the lack of attention could impact the child negatively and feel that they are not good enough. So they end up overcompensating and indulge in smothering behaviors. So guilt, if it just remains as a burden in your subconscious, has no utility. However, if you use guilt proactively and take corrective measures, guilt can be a guiding force to make right choices in life and have accountability to yourself, others, relationship, environment and situations. That has to be the most positive message I've ever heard about guilt, Paris. So, essentially the message is Instead of letting guilt beat you down, use it to change behaviors. Lovely. And so we come to our last emotion, 
and quite a potent one, if I may say so myself, shame. What are your thoughts on shame? I think you're absolutely right in calling it potent, Shweta. Shame and guilt are very interrelated. So you feel guilty when you do something wrong. But when you're ashamed, you end up believing your whole self is wrong. That whatever went wrong is because of you. Now, this is quite a large acquisition to put on yourself. Because if you did something wrong, you can take measures to fix it. But if you're convinced you are the one that is in the wrong, it becomes difficult to cope. Shame fuels negative self-talk with the whole I'm not good enough routine. We all have different shame triggers and it is important to catch ourselves before spiraling down that path. The easiest way to address shame is to recognize it, accept vulnerability and share and process it. The more we face it, the lesser power we give this emotion. The only way to destabilize shame is to come from a place of worthiness by practicing self-compassion. How would you talk to your close friend if she came to you with the same mistake you have just committed? If we could only learn to treat ourselves with as much love, respect and compassion as we treat others, the world would be a much, much better place. <laughs> that is a beautiful message, Paris. And with that, we have addressed seven powerful emotions. But what is the one thing you would like to leave the audience with today? Well, I think the most important thing to remember is that all emotions are healthy. For example, fear is the reason our race has managed to survive for this long. If a predator is near us, and fear does not get triggered, we are doomed. Likewise, every emotion within control is healthy and has its utility. But it is our inability to draw boundaries that end up impacting us negatively and could lead to destruction of ourselves, of our relationships, of our careers and everything we value in the materialistic world. A heartwarming message indeed. So there you go listeners, the secret to a peaceful and joyous life. Instead of leading lives at the mercy of our emotions, if we learn to control and manage them as they surface, we can lead a much more blissful life. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Shweta and Paras signing off, hoping you have a mindful week ahead. Namaste. Namaste.